Today on Hearing is Believing. Christians say that we know the truth. We can have a personal relationship with truth. Truth has a name, and truth's name is Jesus Christ. Connecting contemporary culture to the timeless truths of God's Word. This is Hearing is Believing. Well, how do you know what you know? And how do you know if what you know is really true? And I think after answering or asking that type of question, the response of, I don't know, wouldn't be appropriate. How do you know what you know? And how do you know if what you know is true? Now, questions like those aren't silly. They're intended to express that we are leaning towards reality. We are questing towards or moving towards what is true, what is real. Truth matters. I ran across something startling the other day. I found that in uh, 2009, 2009, there was a revival of the Flat Earth Society. There are individuals that are convinced to this day, genuinely convinced, that the Earth is flat and not spherical. And the last, last count that I heard, the society had over 500 adherents to that uh, belief. Now, you and I, we laugh at that when we think about people believing that the earth is still flat to this day. The reason that we laugh at that is because we're almost 2,000 years of scientific suggestion and satellite imagery and all the rest that the earth is spherical. But most of the world, if we put it in perspective, most of the world, when they consider what we say we believe, looks upon us with the same despair that we look upon those who say the earth is flat. The world thinks us wrong. And though unlike the flat earth society, we as Christians have reason on our side. And let me say this to you. Truth is subjective. Excuse me. <laughs> Truth is not subjective. Truth is absolute. Christians say that we know the truth. We can have a personal relationship with truth. Truth has a name, and truth's name is Jesus Christ. And he lives a life as God's revelation, the eternal word of the Father. And his very life conforms to God's written revelation, that is, Holy Scripture. And so the Bible ensures that we have a clear picture of who God is. The Bible is, uh, is, uh, gives, us to, gives us a witness to reality. And I choose that term reality over truth because I want to convey this point, that truth is reality. Truth is not abstract or separated from reality. What is true is real, and what is real is true. And so the Bible, and I hope that you view the Bible this way, the Bible is how we interpret reality. We look at the sun in our universe, and there are some civilizations that worship the sun, but that did worship the sun, but we know that the sun is not worthy of worship. We look at the chaotic waves of the sea, and we believe that even though the hurricane comes, 
those waves will one day be at peace. We believe things like death is not final. I had someone give me a call the other day, and they wanted advice. Someone recommended that they call me and talk to me, and I was glad to take their call. They had just lost someone very close to them and wanted to know, and the family asked them. They didn't have a pastor, and the family asked them to eulogize their loved one. So they asked me the question. They said, what should I say at this funeral? And I said, exalt Jesus. Tell the story of the resurrection. Tell the story that we believe that one day everyone that dies is going to be raised. Some are going to be raised to an eternal life. Others are going to be raised to an eternal death. But either way, everyone is going to be raised. You talk, talk about a countercultural belief. That's what we believe. Some people may say, well, it's easier to believe that the earth is flat than that the dead are one day going to rise again. So we believe things like death is not final. We believe things like true delight comes from walking obediently with God. And you and I know these things and countless others that we could just recall in our minds because the Bible tells us so. Scripture tells us how things were, how things are, as well as how things will be. And the reason that it does that is so that you and I can pattern our lives after the rhythm of the universe. And so the ordering, or listen to this word, the economy, the ordering or the economy of the universe is going to be just as God directs it. And we have access to the way that God directs it, we know the plans that God has, and He's given us access because He has given us the Bible. He has given us Holy Scripture. And so then Scripture gives us the true story of the whole world. Or to say it another way, Scripture gives us the true teaching of the world. And so true teaching or true doctrine is what I want us to turn our attention to this evening. We're continuing our series. I'm sorry that the screens aren't working back here, but we're considering our series Safe to Shore. And we are looking through 1 Timothy to observe 12 principles to keep your faith off the rocks. We've chosen to do that because here we are uh, in the middle of a pandemic, though we're hopefully coming on the other side of this pandemic. We've had a lot of free time. We've had a lot of time where we've been told to take this time and take the most of it and draw closer to the Lord. But the reason that we're doing that, the reason that we're doing this series is because there is a real danger of drifting from God. So what I want to encourage you with tonight is that Christ has not called us to drift but to endure. And endurance begins by having a determination in our minds that what we believe is absolutely true. And so the first principle out of 12 that we're going to consider, the first principle for our consideration is true doctrine. True doctrine. So let's read the Bible, 1 Timothy. And we're going to back up. We looked last week at 18 through 20. We're going to look this week at verses 3 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. As I urged you when I was given, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. 
nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Would you pray with me this evening? Thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Pray that you guide this moment of exposition and help us to come close to you as we hear your word proclaimed. We pray these things in the power of the Spirit, in the name of the Son, and to the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So true doctrine is what we're considering tonight. And there are the doctrines of Christian teaching, and then there are different doctrines of the Christian teaching. And these different doctrines, here's the kicker, these different doctrines, they parade themselves about as Christian teaching. But in reality, they don't conform with true teaching. These teachings are out of step with revelation. That's how we know they're false. They're out of step with holy scripture. So, for example, tonight we sang holy, holy, holy. There are those who teach a different doctrine who might come knocking on your door and have you believe that they are really Christians. Or they probably won't use that term. They'll probably say that we follow Jesus Christ too. But then you have to be diligent and ask, which Jesus are you following? So a specific group called the Mormons, they have taken the song, Holy, 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 and they have rewritten the song, Holy, 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 to conform to what they understand as true doctrine. So for example, when we sing the song, God in three persons, Blessed Trinity, if you listen to the Mormons, and I almost hesitate to even say this because it gets stuck in your head, when the Mormons sing the song, they sing God in His fullness, blessed deity. You hear the difference? God in three persons, blessed trinity, or God in His fullness, blessed deity. They deny the trinity. And because they deny the trinity, they deny Christ. They deny true doctrine. And so there are, there are the doctrines of Christian teaching, and then there are different doctrines of Christian teaching. And these different doctrines, they parade themselves about as Christian teaching, but in reality, they are not, because they do not conform to holy, or they are out of step with revelation, and that is Holy Scripture. And so, in several places, the Bible sums up Christian teaching. For example... Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, listen to what Paul says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, 
He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And so Paul says he delivers as of first importance, this Christ died and rose again. How? According to the Scriptures. According to Christian teaching. And by the way, this is a side note. The, uh, the, Christian, uh, the Christian Scripture that Paul was referring to when he wrote 1 Corinthians was the Old Testament. So he said that Christ is proclaimed as a risen, crucified, and coming again Savior according to the Old Testament. Or take, for example, Jude 3. Although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to all the saints. And so there is a faith that we are to contend for. How can we contend for that faith if we don't know what that faith is? And this faith was delivered to all the saints. Well, then who delivered it? Thank God Jesus delivered it. Who did he deliver it to? First to the apostles. And then who? To those who would believe the testimony of the apostles. And then what's our commission? To go and take what the word that they have given us and spread to all creation. Oh, or, for example, consider Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's the Old Testament. But in these last days, He has spoken to us. How? By His Son. And what do we know about this Son? Listen to Hebrews. Whom He appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then, of course, we have that wonderful passage in Luke 24, 25 through 27, where Jesus appears on the road to Emmaus, and then he appears to these, uh, two of these disciples who are wondering, you know, uh, what has happened today, and what's, you know, they're thinking in despair, and Jesus then comes, and they don't recognize him at first, and then he comes and he asks them a question. He says, uh, what's going on? And they look at him, and they said, are you the only one who's been in Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened today? So in other words, that tells us that this, what happened was uh, widely known and spread about. And then Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe what all, excuse me, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. All that the prophets had spoken. And he's using that shorthand for uh, the prophetic books of the Old Testament. And then he says this, was it not necessary according to what was spoken was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And then listen to this. I wish I could show you this tonight. I would point this out. And beginning with Moses, all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the writings or the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so in that one passage, Luke tells us that Jesus 
took the, the three ordering of the, the three-part ordering of the Old Testament, law, the prophets, and the writings, and Jesus said, all of these things, everything that you heard that happened about the Christ, everything that was necessary, Jesus then interpreted the Old Testament in light of himself. And so then, it's from the thrust of all of those passages, and we could sit here and go all night think, thinking through what is true doctrine and how the Scriptures highlight what is true doctrine, uh, we learn that there is an internal witness, listen to me, there's an internal witness to Scripture. And that internal witness reveals true Christian teaching, and that's important. This internal witness of the text reveals true Christian teaching. You say, why are you making a big deal about the internal witness of the text? Here's the reason. Because it's not enough. It's not enough for us to just have a Bible. Many false teachers have a Bible. What we need is a proper interpretation of the Bible. True doctrine or true teaching they're the guardrails that keep us traveling faithfully down the road of orthodoxy. And orthodoxy is this set of teachings that conform with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is truth, and remember, truth is reality. So if there are true teachings, then we distinguish true teachings from false teachings. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, for example, there's one word that Paul uses to describe different doctrine. And that word that he uses there in verse 1 and 3, where he says different doctrine in my English Standard Version, it's only used twice. That word is only used twice in the New Testament. And the word there is where we get our word heterodoxy, uh, which means wrong or false teachings. And so this, this, uh, this word here is only used twice. It's used the first time in 1 Timothy 1 and 3. And then if you flip over a few pages to 1 Timothy chapter 6, you'll see that it's used again in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 3. If anyone teaches a uh, heterodox doxology here, a different doctrine. So in other words, Paul then takes the entire book of Timothy and he, and he bookends it. At the beginning, he uses this word that's unique to him. And then in the last book, he uses this word that is the last chapter of this book. He uses that word that is unique to him. And so Paul is telling Timothy, he's writing to Timothy to ensure true doctrine. That his life and teaching is according to reality. That is pursuing and advancing Truth, And so that's our first point this evening. Number one, true teaching must be a priority. Look at verse 3. Paul says, I urge you, as I urged you when I was going here and there, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine. And so here's what I want to convey to you this evening. If we're to make it safe to shore and not shipwrecked, we have to ensure that we're following the path of faithful teaching. And for Paul, this was what he is urging Timothy to do. And the urgent need for the church today is to have disciples or learners in the pew who can easily distinguish between true and false teachers. 
And there is much confusion about what is true and false teaching, and so much so that most of us lack the ability to discern the difference. Some of them you have to look really close to tell that they're counterfeit. And the difference between the two, remember this, isn't just simply reading the Bible. The difference between the two is reading the Bible the right way. And I want to say that reading the Bible is a good place to start, but it's not sufficient. You have to be taught how to read the Bible and interpret the Bible. And so Paul here to Timothy, he's pointing out the differences. And in Paul's mind, it's easy to distinguish between what is true and what is false. And every couple of years, a ministry called Ligonier Ministry, they they put out a study called the State of Theology. And in this study, they seek to answer, what do Americans believe about God, salvation, ethics, and the Bible. And just recently, new results were released, and this time they partnered with LifeWay Research. And I want to tell you uh, what they found. Here's what they found, if I can get it here. Here's the question. Who is Jesus? This is, they're asking America. Listen to this. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. True or false? Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 52% of our society in America agrees that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God, while 36% disagree. And in the evangelical world, 30% agree that he was a great teacher, but not God, while 66% disagree. You hear the difference? 66% disagree. Those margins, I would think, if they're evangelicals, ought to be a little bit higher. Well, 30% agree. And let me, let's get to another one here. Let's see, let's get another one here. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but it is not literally true. And they ask that to the society. And in 2020, 48% of our society agreed with that statement. You say, oh, 48, that's not bad, 48%. Well, in 2014, 41% agreed. In 2016, 44% agreed. 2018, 47% agreed. And then in 2020, the percentage was up one, 48% agreed. Modern science, if you ask evangelicals, do they agree or disagree with this statement? Modern science disproves the Bible. 17% of evangelicals agree. And so what's the, what's the point in saying all of this? Here's what they say. Their conclusion. And you can read the report if you'd like to. You can just simply type in the state of theology and it'll come up. The 2020 State of Theology survey reveals widespread confusion in the United States about the Bible's teaching. While the American population in general appears to be drifting away, key word, drifting away from accepting the truth claims of the Christian faith, the growing and imminent health and social concerns of the time of our survey in March 2020 may be partly responsible for leading some 
to reconsider their views. Evangelicals, while exhibiting some hopeful movement in the direction of biblical fidelity, also seem to be influenced by the culture's uncertainty about what truth is, who Jesus is, and how sinners are saved. And these results reveal an urgent need for clear biblical teaching on the per- person of Christ, the gospel of grace, and the way that the truth of God informs our ethical decisions in everyday life. And then they end with this. There is much work to be done in this age of confusion, but we hope the findings of this survey will serve the church in its calling to reach more people with the faithful proclamation of God's Word. And here tonight, we're reading a document nearly 2,000 years old where an old missionary is talking to a young preacher And he is urging him, urging him to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And how on earth will Timothy charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine if he himself is not acquainted with what is true doctrine? And so the urging to Timothy nearly 2,000 years ago is even more urgent in our day. We need to return back to the Bible. And what I mean by that is a return back to true doctrine. And so the question then, how do you discover true doctrine? Well, Paul's going to tell Timothy in another letter. He's going to tell him in another letter, 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best, Timothy. Study hard, Timothy. Work your knuckles to the bones, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one who's approved, a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I'll never forget my first encounter in Dr. David Lanier's Greek class where he told us that that rightly dividing, rightly handling the truth is a term that seamstress used to use, and it literally means to cut the cloth straight. In other words, we study, we diligently apply ourselves to this word because we want to cut the cloth straight. The help we need to get it right means that we lean into the text, not into our subjective sense of the text. In other words, we lean not into what we think that the text says, but we lean into what the text actually says. And so the text is the authority. The text stands alone. We either stand with the text or we stand against the text. Point number two this evening. True doctrine is based on reality. Look at this in verse 4. The road down false teaching is a dark road. And look where it ends. It ends in despair. Look at this digression um, to false teaching according to verse 4. Look at what it says. Myths, endless genealogies, speculations. Here's the contrast. Rather than the stewardship from God. 
Apostolic teaching, according to one of the apostles, Peter, apostolic teaching, according to Peter, is not according to myths. Apostolic teaching is according to eyewitness testimony. Listen to what Peter says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then some of you say right there, well, that's, that's great, but how can I be sure that I am getting the teaching of Scripture right? I was not an eyewitness of his majesty. I have never seen the Lord the way that Peter saw the Lord. And I'm glad that you asked that because Peter is going to answer that question as he continues saying what he's going to say. In the next few verses, Peter points to Scripture. He says that we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. And then listen to what he says after this. When we, when He received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Peter says, listen, this is so good. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then listen to what he says. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what Peter just said? What's the connection between we have the prophetic word more sure? He says the reason that we have the prophetic word more sure is because we have Holy Scripture. We have the Bible. We have the Bible. And so then oftentimes, I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes we'll, we'll look at and read uh, the Bible and we'll think, man, those disciples, they're such boneheads. How do they not get it right? All of these kings, isn't it sort of discouraging sometimes? You'll read about a king and then you'll see this king's demise and you just think things are going to go right in the history of Israel and then all of a sudden the next chapter here, they're worshiping the gods on the mountain again and forsaking God and you're thinking, man, why couldn't they get it right? We're able to have that perspective because we're on this side of Revelation. I am probably wrong about this, though I think that I'm right, but I'm quite certain that I'm right. I would have been just as boneheaded, if not more boneheaded, than the disciples. I get to sit in judgment for them. The reason that I get to sit in judgment is because I'm on this side of Revelation. Peter says, we have the prophetic word more sure. And then he goes and talks about Scripture. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God and were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so, do we treasure Scripture the way that Peter tells us to treasure Scripture? You know what Peter just said? He says, hey guys, we were with Christ on the mountain. We heard the voice. We saw the majesty. You're in a better position than I was. You see, in the Bible, in the Bible, seeing is not believing. In the Bible, hearing is believing. Remember what Jesus told Thomas? Thomas, 
You believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who never see and yet believe. Beloved, you know who those are? Hopefully it's everyone sitting in these pews tonight. It's me. It's you. We are those who believe. Who believe because we have heard. And so Scripture is not based on myth. It's not based on speculation. Instead, look at this. Scripture reveals God's plan for the universe. I'm reading from the English Standard Bible. Your translation may say something different. And this is a point where the English Standard translators, in my humble opinion, they miss the translation of this word here uh, in verse in verse 4. In verse 4, it says at the end of verse 4, that uh, which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Now, I have a little f- sub footnote in my ESV. It says uh, stewardship could also be translated or good order. Well, the NASB, which is the most wooden and the most literal, it says it, it looks at that word and it looks at that word and it translates it as administration of God. Does that help anybody to understand what the stewardship is? All right. The NIV, which I actually like, surprisingly, it says uh, that it translates that word as advancing God's work. That helps a little bit. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, I believe that it really captures best, in my opinion, the thrust of oikonomia. That's that Greek word there, oikonomia. It is translated oftentimes as household or economy. And listen to what it says. It says in verse 4, Or to pay attention to myths, endless genealogies, these promote empty speculation rather than God's plan. Rather than God's plan. What's the point? True doctrine, correct teaching, reveals God is steering the universe to His intended outcome. When we encounter Scripture, we get a picture of what God intends to do with and for the world. We get a picture of God's plan. God's plan. You know, we talk about at high school graduations, God has a plan for your life. Most times, most don't ever stick around to figure out what that plan is. It's written. It's there. I'm so grateful that I read it. To find out that at the center of His plan is the salvation of His people. And He is going to take us safe to shore. God, listen to this. This is incredible. God centers history around us. He centers history around His people. He tells His story through us. He calls us the apple of His eye. The ones that He's engraved on His hand. Those He could never forget. Those He would never forsake. 
In other words, He will take us safe to shore. Now, don't misunderstand me this evening. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, we're not the center of the universe. That's not what I said. I have to remind my children of this all the time. They are not the center of the universe. And so let me be the first to remind you, perhaps in a while, you are not the center of the universe. It's much richer than that. The God who directs the cosmos has eternity in his hand, has set his loving affection upon you. And through grace and mercy, we're included in his plan. And that plan operates by faith. Number three, and finally this evening, true doctrine leads to hope. Look at verse 5. And in contrast to the false teaching that is based on speculation and myth, look at this in verse 5. True teaching's aim is love. True teaching's aim, or goal, telos, end, is love. And then look at what follows it. And I wish we had time we'd go further. There is a triad that issues from an aim of love. Look at that triad. A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The pathway of true doctrine is glorious. You see the digression into myths, endless genealogies, speculations. And look at the way the other path leads. It leads to a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And remember, Paul, when he opened his letter to Timothy, look at what he says. He opened his letter in verse 1. He opened his letter with hope. And here he says that true doctrine has a goal. True doctrine has a destination. And where on earth does true doctrine lead? See, the earth is going to tell you that it doesn't make any difference if you believe in Jesus or not. As a matter of fact, the world would rather you keep your belief in Jesus to yourself. But it's too big for that. We can't keep it to ourselves. True doctrine has a destination. And so where then does true doctrine lead? The road of true doctrine is love. And love's pathway is paved with a good heart, with a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Listen to me. True doctrine will lead you to hope, while false doctrine will leave you hopeless. And so you and I as the church, we have the responsibility to hold hope before the world. Paul's going to say in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. You and I correctly convey hope when we adhere to the true teaching of the Bible. And the true teaching of the Bible 
says that if you by faith trust in him, that your end, your destination is love and hope. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the truth. The truth that you love us, you lead us, and you'll never let us go. So we turn our entire affection towards you and ask you to gently but surely lead us safely. In Jesus' name, and all who are God's people said, Amen. You're listening to Hearing is Believing. For more information or to contact us, please visit hearingisbelieving.org.